if you've been with us for a while, you know we're going through First and Second Samuel, and you might be looking at that slide saying that does not say First and Second Samuel. That says Ecclesiastes, uh, meaningless. Uh, a study of Ecclesiastes, and you'd be right. This is a break from First and Second Samuel. This week, uh, myself and some of the pastors from the Lacey campus had the opportunity opportunity to go down to Portland uh, and go through some workshops and training uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, which we have preached here. I don't know if any of you remember that or if you were here that long ago, but we did go through the book of Ecclesiastes a while back. And uh, so it was a lot of fun to go down there. The Simeon Trust workshops, uh, kind of how to exegete the passages and go through. So we spent the entire time we were there going through Ecclesiastes. Uh, so we had uh, speakers. Uh, we had pastors who preached three of the different chapters. Uh, there were workshops where we created our own sermon uh, structure for the passage uh, and then learned how to uh, do it a little bit better. And so it was so much fun. We had a great time. Um, and so as a church body, I want you to, uh, to hear me say thank you, uh, for, for allowing me to go down there this week and, and be a part of that, uh, for the, for the week. And, uh, what we decided a couple weeks ago is we were going to be putting in a lot of work towards this workshop and the, this conference that we would take a one week break from second Samuel so that at the end of this week, I got back Friday night, uh, and then Saturday morning, my family, uh, Gwen and I, and, and Abby and her husband, we headed across the mountain, and we spent the day in Ellensburg with my youngest son. So it's been a busy week, been a great week, but the prep time for a, a second Samuel sermon might not have uh, been in the abundance, which I normally would like to have. The hours were short this week. So we decided to go ahead and just do a sermon, one off on Ecclesiastes, uh, and we'll be looking at chapter 3, verse 1 to 15 today, but uh, we'll jump right back into 2 Samuel next week. So if you're new or newer, just want you to know we're working our way through First and Second Samuel, and we will uh, jump back into that next week. This week is kind of a one-off on Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 to 15. So, that being said, how many of you guys like to play games? I see a lot of hands out there. I like that. I like games. How many of you like to play games where they're timed? You only have a certain amount of time to do something. No? I hear some no's. Okay, so that's good that I heard that. I see a lot of hands, and thank you for the hands. Um, if, if you play a game... And they turn over this little uh, timer, this sand timer. I wish I had a huge one. That would have been a fun prop. But this is the size that I got. You can see here that there's some sand whooshing from the top to the bottom. And no, uh, I don't have one big enough for the amount of time I'm going to preach today. Pastor Dave was like, we should have gotten you one of these, Mark, that would work. But I think this is only a couple of minutes. The sand kind of whooshes through there. So immediately I thought of Boggle. Okay, I know I'm old. I'm one of the oldest here. So I'm not expecting a lot of you to remember Boggle. But Boggle is this really cool game that's got a bunch of little dice in it that got letters on it. And you got to shake it up. And I remember as a kid, the, the sound of that board shaking, shake it up. You slammed it down. And you, well, I don't know if you're supposed to slam it down, but I did. You slam it down and you take off the lid and you flip over the timer. And then you start looking for words, right? And you're trying to find as many words as you can in this grid, racing against the hourglass, right? The time. Since I dated myself with, uh, with Boggle, maybe you guys know the game Taboo, right? Taboo, kind of the same idea. Hourglass, sand, timer. You race against that, and then you creatively and carefully use worded clues to get your team players to guess another word as fast as you can. You get points based on that. So those, those are, are a couple of the games that popped into my mind when I started thinking about time and having a little bit of time to do as much as you can. This can make you feel, I think, like, like in the game, if you're like me at least, in your mind, 
a little bit out of control. Like, you can't stop the time. It's running. Right? There's no way to stop this. You can't focus on something else. You can't run and get something out of the microwave. You can't answer the front door. You've got a short amount of time to do as many things as you can in the game. And you feel sometimes like that's out of control. At least I did. And there's no way to control that. Well, today, as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to see the hourglass counting down the time. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Oop, I went too soon there. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Foosh, or whatever this sound would make. What, what sound do you guys think this would make? Maybe it's more of a s than a foosh. Thank you. Uh, this, it makes a sound, right? And that's, that's what you hear in the back of your mind as you're trying to complete whatever it is that you're trying to complete. Well, today as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I'm going to encourage you to trust in the eternal God's plan for you. He is in control. And we just need to live wisely, like we're told in Proverbs 1, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, fear, maybe not like you're thinking of fear, especially here we are in Halloween month, right? The fear of the Lord is a proper understanding and an acknowledgement of who you are in comparison to who God is. Uh, and there is some fear uh, in some ways, but also it's more of an awe and a reverence. You could do a whole sermon just on the fear of the Lord. We're not doing that this morning. But we want to keep that in mind. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we're going to read first, and then we'll dive in and look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. So let's read aloud the word of the Lord. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is a gift or God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Let's pray as we begin. Father God, we thank you for a passage of scripture written by a very wise person that reminds us today that you are in control. That the things that go on in our life that we may not feel we have any control over are in your hand and in your plan. Help us to hear from you today, Holy Spirit. Help us to receive this word and apply it to our lives so that when we leave here today, we look a little bit more like Jesus and a little bit less like ourselves. 
Give us wisdom as we discern what you had the author write and how we can apply that to our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the first part of the uh, the the chapter that I read, a lot of you might recognize this song that was written from these pages. Do you guys know which song I'm talking about? Right? It was performed and popularized by the birds in 1965. Turn, turn, turn. But it was actually written a few years earlier by Pete Seeger. But really, in all truths, it wasn't written by either of those, the band or the musician, but it was written by uh, someone that is referred to in this book as the preacher. Uh, I personally believe it's Solomon. Uh, that's just my opinion. There are a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me that disagree with me, and I'm okay with that. Uh, and if, if another time we can maybe go through Ecclesiastes again, we can talk a little bit more about authorship. But I personally believe uh, and uh, what God's word says about Solomon, that he was the wisest man who ever lived. And I see a lot of that in this book, especially this week that was confirmed as uh, I studied it. But either way, whether Whether it was Solomon or another wise man, son of David, we're told, king. Those are some of the descriptions of this preacher. We know that this was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen on that? Amen, right? This is God's word inspired by Holy Spirit through a man who authored it. So we know that it's wisdom literature by the way that it's written and also because Holy Spirit gave it to us. In the book, we see a narrator. A narrator talks at the beginning, and then the preacher starts talking. He gives a bunch of wisdom, right? And then uh, we get these thoughts and these little proverbs and these little things that make us scratch our head and say, how does that work out in life? Uh, And that's from the preacher. And then again, at the end, we see words from the narrator, uh, and so it's a very unique book. It's a lot of fun to study. If you haven't studied, if you haven't read it, I would, I would definitely recommend it. I've enjoyed it before, but again, this week was great. Now, again, as to the authorship, it's a conversation for another time that I'll gladly engage with anyone, but it's not necessarily the main point of today. So let's continue on here uh, as we look into the book of Ecclesiastes as to what we can learn today that we can apply to our lives. We're going to jump back to the end of chapter two. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, or again, we have the words up here on the screen, you would see these are the last few words of chapter two. Like I said, we're focusing in on the beginning of chapter three, verses one to 15, but let's jump back into the end of it because we got to remember this was written as one piece broken down into verses and chapters later on by us uh, to make it easier to find things, but this is written in one thing. So let's look at the end of chapter two. Okay. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the uh, busyness of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The important thing I want you to see here at the end of chapter 2 is the idea that this was given from the hand of God. For apart from who we see him, which is God, what uh, is, is that he has given apart from him, we cannot eat or have any enjoyment and please God. The preacher says here, not only at the end of chapter two, but throughout the entire book to eat and drink and enjoy life. Because everything is vanity. I think when we preached it through, we went back to the original word, havel. Uh, sometimes it's, it's uh, translated as futility. So here we have the wisest man, the man who's built up this kingdom, who is gathered, who is rich, who is powerful, saying that everything on this earth without God 
is worthless. Okay? So that's a lot of study. That's a lot of reading kind of brought together. So you know the mindset of the first couple of chapters where the rest of the book goes. But the preacher says, you, in this toil, in this life, right? Applying wisdom to it, you should eat, you should drink, and you should enjoy life. Because that is a gift from God's hand, right? And apart from God, you can't do that. Do you know people who have plenty, right? We should all be saying yes, and still don't enjoy life, right? Doesn't matter how much they have, they want more. But do you also know people who don't have much? They don't have much at all. It's probably tough to get a meal on the table two or three times in a row at these people's houses. And yet they're some of the most joy-filled people you know. Right? I, I mean, I do. I hope you guys do. I hope you know people from both of those extremes because this will make a lot more sense. It doesn't matter. The preacher is saying it doesn't matter how much or how little you have. You need to eat, drink, be merry, or we can say find joy in God. Right? That way, no matter how much or how little you have, it's not based on you at all. It's back to God. God is in control. He has an ordered plan. You can find joy, not because of the circumstance, but because of God the Father, right? Okay, so that's where he's going. That's the end of chapter two. Now we're bouncing back into Ecclesiastes chapter three. And he starts out with, with one of the verses that even when I preached through this, well, I've read it many times over the years, but even when I preached through it the first time, I kind of blew by. And this time I want to pause just a little bit more. It says there in verse one, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Okay, verse one. What I want to do is I want to jump into those next few lines, right? I want to start into the song. I want to start looking at all these contrasts. And yet one of the things I think that Holy Spirit challenged me this week as I was reading this and studying this was you need to pause after verse number one in light of the end of chapter two. And you need to understand that for everything there is a season and that season is not based on us. That season is based on God. Do we as Christians, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, live our lives truly believing that God is in control? So when my brain is running amok and I'm all freaked out because I don't have enough time or things don't seem to be fitting right in my life or things are chaos and all I can see is the sand running through the hourglass... Do I truly believe that God is in control? Do I believe that? And if so, then how does it affect me? The preacher says that there is a season for everything, a time for every matter under heaven. God's hand, back in verse 24, God is God, and he is a God of order. I had to challenge myself this week and say, Mark, are you living your life With that truth in mind, do you truly believe it? During each phase of our life, no matter where you're at today, no matter what's going on behind the scenes that nobody else in here knows about, the chaos in your life, the way you feel that your life is out of order, out of control, do you believe that God is sovereign? We all are born, we all die right? We plant a seed, we pluck it up, and yet God is forever in heaven in control of our days. Solomon understands the temptations we face as mankind during the various seasons of life. And the biggest temptation, I would say, of all of them is to let our lives feel to us like they're out of control, right? We, we forget about trusting God in that way. We know the truths of God. We study those. We understand those from scripture. We've learned them from a young age, a lot of us, and we believe them and we can speak them. But do we truly, truly believe them? When we speak them, are they just words or do we believe what we're saying? Wondering if you're in control of your life or do you have a boss 
that every day when you walk into work, you feel like you've lost control. You don't know what he or she is going to say they need you to do. And when they tell you one thing, they come back a few minutes later and they tell you something else. And they give you deadlines that just aren't realistic, right? Maybe some of us have bosses like that. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's the financial situation of the family. Maybe it's the chaos that we seem to walk into every day. After day, after day. All of those things are temptations for us to start viewing the chaos in our lives, not through the lens of a God who is sovereign and in control and has a plan for us. We're tempted to look away from that truth and allow it to affect who we are. Do we believe that God's in control or am I just a top spinning out of control? Right? You do a top on a table and it's really cool, right? And it's spinning and it's spinning and you're watching that. But if you're like me, I have no fine motor skill in these hands. So I spin that thing and it just shoots off the table and hits the floor and rolls away. And so I pick it up and I try it again and I just can't get it under control. Right? And then I always had that friend that could do it really good. You know, spin that thing and it didn't move and it spun what seemed like an eternity. Right? In our lives, that's God. God is in total control of the top, right? Unlike me. The preacher tells us there is control. It's just not ours. It's God's. And that's why I think we need to camp on verse 1. And had we been preaching through the entirety of this book, last week we would have talked about the end of chapter 2. And I would have reminded you today. And that's why we spent a little extra time this morning looking at that. We need to be careful that we, as we're looking at our lives, we don't misinterpret seasons in our lives very easily. The temptation sometimes is to feel that, that God might be abandoning us or he doesn't care about us. He doesn't love us during these difficulties. If God truly loved me, how could this happen to me? How could God allow that to happen to someone that I love so much? We start asking those questions during the difficult times in our lives. The, the, the temptation to feel uh, as if we are in some God click of holiness or special people, right? During the blessings doesn't, we don't know how to shift that to times of trouble, right? We feel like when things are going great, we can all give glory and honor to God. Oh, I thank God I got the new job and it's going to mean a little more financial security for my family and, you know, and we can go on and on about it. But when we talk about difficulties in our lives, well, we don't, at least I don't. It's not easy to, to talk about the tough times in my life. It's easier to skip ahead to the good things, right? Those are the ones where we can see God's hand. But how often do you talk to somebody and you bear your soul, right? You're willing to talk about the tough things going on in your life. And yet you're asking, I know God's in control. I know God has his hand in this. And I'm hoping that as I get through this, one, that it goes quickly, but two, that I learn what God is trying to teach me here. That's the kind of person we've been called to be. You have to do both or we're missing out on so much about our relationship with God. If we only see God in the good stuff, we're missing out on who God is during the tough times. And so our faith for it to grow into the the place that God wants it to be so that it's a full faith, we have to allow God to be in control during the tough times and during the blessings or the easier times. He, he's growing us in so many areas when we go through things that are difficult. Sometimes, maybe it seems difficult to us and it's really not a huge thing, but he's working on our humility, right? Maybe he needs to break me down so that I see other people or I see him through the proper lens again. Because right now I'm looking at Mark Miller in the mirror and I'm not acting very humble. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Right? So he might use something kind of small to go through that. But also, you may go through some of the toughest things, whether it's a health 
problem, a loss of a friend or a family member. Those are the things where you raise your fists to God and you say, if you were loving God, how could you allow me to go through this? And yet the author here says that God is in control. For everything, there's a time and a season. And he starts out right away with a real and honest look at some of the toughest things in life. Look at the contrast that he builds here. First, he says it's a time to be born, right? A time to be born. Well, that's a celebration. That's a great thing, right? My grandchild was born January 10th. We were lucky enough that we flew out there on January 7th, so we got to be there. Not in the room, mind you, but a few hours later, we got to go into the room, and I got to see this baby, and I got to hold this baby, and it was incredible. And it's easy to say, man, thank you, God, for all the blessings that you've shown my son and his wife, and I thank you for that. And it's true, and it's honest, but look where he, what he says next. There's a time to die, right? Now, my job has allowed me to sit with some people during their final few hours on this earth. Am I someone who sees that as a season in life and I'm there to be with not only that person but their family and, and try to comfort them in the truths of scripture and move through into this new season of life in a God honoring way, right? That that's one of the things as a pastor, but it's tougher when it's our own family. It's definitely harder when this person that passed away is too young to die. How can God allow this to happen? Right? Do we see God for who he is in his entirety or only when it fits into what we think he should look like. Our little box. If God goes outside that box, all of a sudden we have a problem with that. You're appointed both a birthday and a death day. Is that something you personally believe? You're gonna, you were born, you're here today, you're going to die. And you don't have any control over that day. You don't have any control. It's appointed by God. This shakes the faith of many. I may not have sat with the person as someone passed away, but I've then been in the office where they've come in questioning God, questioning their faith, wondering why if God loves people, loves me, loves my family member, why he could allow this tragedy to strike. Again, for some reason, it's easier if they're old, right? If they've made it through their life, we can see God's hand throughout their life and we can say, yeah, they had a good life, but what happens and what do we, how do we view it when it's a younger person? Solomon wants us to build our faith. There's nothing out of control about these events. God is in complete control. And he wants us to know that. Now, coming out of that heavy born and die, he goes to this, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. And I was sitting there this week as we were studying this passage, and I, I thought to myself, man alive, it doesn't matter what I plant or when I plant it, it, it doesn't grow very well. And if it's already alive and I plant it in the ground, it's probably going to die, right? And, and so that's where my brain started going through because I, my season, if you're a plant that's bought by me from Home Depot, your season's going to be a lot shorter than it is for some of the green thumbs that are sitting out here. I can't keep anything alive, you know, I mean, at all. And, and yet, do we truly believe that God is in control? God talk, uh, the scriptures talk about God being in control of the birds of the air in another passage, Right? He knows the hairs on our head, we're told, and we're like, oh, that's really cool. The creator God knows how many hairs I have on my head, right? Like, that's cool, and that's intimate, and, and God loves us, and those things are true. But he also says that a, a bird doesn't fall out of the sky without God's hand. Do we believe that? Do we believe in that kind of sovereign God? He goes on, he says, there's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up. Again, all of these contrasts, right? 
I can't go into all of these today. We just don't have time. Uh, we did it the last time we went through this, and hopefully again when we go through Ecclesiastes, we will. Um, but we have this a time to kill and a time to heal. And when they started talking about a time to heal, I started to think about how many doctors and nurses we have in this church alone. How many of you work over at Madigan and a few of you at other hospitals here in the Lacey, Olympia, Tacoma, Seattle area? But we have a lot of doctors. We have a lot of nurses. And, and when I talk to you, I don't understand much about what you're saying, right? But it's a genuine smile on my face because I know that God has enabled you to learn and to become a way in your brain so that you can help people that I don't understand fully. And it gets me excited because I believe, again, that's by the hand of God, right? A time to heal, we see, right? And I thought of that and I was like, man, alive. I have a lot of friends who have been blessed by God to be able to help people out. Right, And so we're going back and forth through these things, a time to break down and a, a time to build up. Again, back in that day, breaking down walls during war and then having to rebuild them. Again, it's one of those things, there's seasons from God. The author shifts just a little bit and he goes, a time to weep and a time to laugh. Okay, he's taking on the emotional extremes of our lives, a time to mourn and a time to dance. We have both sadness and joy as a part of the journey that we're on, right? These seasons don't surprise God. They're in his hands. And we need to understand that every season is important to God. God doesn't walk away from us when we weep. God understands weeping. If you believe in the triune God like we do here at this church, the Trinity, Jesus, the Son, wept. He wept over his friend who had died. God understands you and cares for you during the tough times. Weeping and mourning. There's nothing new under the sun. God is in control. We remember on the night that Jesus Christ would go to the cross that he sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane before going to the cross. He understands angst and pain and hurt and separation. And I hope your theology allows you to see that and to understand that that is God. This is a season from God. And no matter where you're at, whether you're rejoicing or mourning, whether you're, you're grieving or encouraging someone who is grieving, God is with you. Those things are important. Each one. We can't be people who just laugh and dance. We need to be able to weep and mourn with those who need to weep and mourn. Humor sustains life. We see that time to laugh. It was funny, the first time we preached this, Kevin and I had just, uh, Kevin, Kevin's on vacation this week, so uh, he's not preaching the same sermon, but we had talked about this. And the first time we preached this sermon, we had talked about uh, a couple who left the church because they said to, this is what they said to us in our exit interview, we love how seriously you take God's word. And, and for us as pastors, that's one of the greatest compliments that we can get. It's not the greatest, but it's one of them that we take God's word serious because we try to and we think that we are and and we're trying to get better every day. And so we were told we, we, that by this couple that, hey, we love how seriously you take God's word, but we can't handle how much humor you use. And so that's why they were going to leave the church. Uh, and and when, when, when we read this week, when we were studying this the original time, but even this week, and one of the, 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 author, or the uh, speakers down there used this same quote, but we came across this when we were studying it the first time. Charles Hayden Spurgeon said this, if only you knew how much I held back. He was approached by someone with the same complaint. They don't like how much humor you use. And Spurgeon said, if only you knew how much I held back. Right? Martin Luther said, if the earth is fit for laughter, then surely heaven is filled with it. Heaven is the birthplace of laughter. 
So my encouragement today to you, friends, is if you see God only on one side, whether it's the good or the bad, whether it's the mourning or the laughing, that you would challenge yourself to allow God to move to the center. Actually, to encompass it all, I would say. But he's in both. And if your view of God restricts that, I'm not upset with you. But my challenge for you is to allow God to be in it all. Because he wants to be. And I hope you believe that. First eight things kind of all relate to what happens in life. Next, he's going to talk about some emotions. We're going to, or, or next, he's going to talk about a few other things that happen to people. Um, he says there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. Uh, the, 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 the stones, there's a ton of ink spilled on that. I personally think it's talking about destroying a neighboring, let's say a neighboring uh, city or village in that day and age. They would literally move large boulders or throw rocks. So into their fields, after they had destroyed and broke down walls, they would take pieces of that wall and throw it into the fields so that they couldn't plant, so they couldn't have another harvest. So there would be more work just to get to the place where they could do that again. They couldn't do their plowing. They couldn't have the oxen go through the field. So it's that idea that there's a time to cast away stones and there's a, a time to gather them up and build. And you know, life is tough, right? And, and, and so that is one thing. Th- this is a season from God, though, was what Solomon is saying. A time to seek and a time to lose. A, a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. Again, we see seasons And we need to know that God is involved in all of them. The final one there, it says a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Right? This is kind of a tough one. This is one where I think a lot of younger Christians, not necessarily in age, but in their walk with God, they struggle with this. So I want to acknowledge that if you're in this place where you're struggling, it's okay. But I would challenge you to push through it, to move through it. Whether that's with a spouse, maybe a friend that's a mentor, maybe getting some counseling, pastoral care. Don't just let this sit. Because the problem is when something tough happens, then you haven't grown in it. You haven't moved in it. And and it can cause people to kind of walk away. Whether for a season uh, or for longer. We all know that there's a time for love, right? Because this is the greatest commandment. Jesus said, love your neighbors, right? But did Jesus just say, or did God just say that there's a time to hate, right? Jesus didn't hate anyone. He loved only, right? I mean, people talk about that all the time. He hated sin. He hated the effects of sin. He hated everything, Right? The control that sin in your life has on you, he hated that. Right? When you become a slave to sin, you can't help but sin. Right? That we know is not of God. Jesus hated that. One of the books that we read the original time through this was by Zach Eswine called Recovering Eden. The gospel according to Ecclesiastes. His main premise is that all creation is struggling and groaning to be made right again. It's all struggling and groaning to be made right again. Once again, sin entered the world through the Garden of Eden. Right? Life that God desired to be precious... His creation has all but disappeared from the original intent of that creation. But the gospel of Ecclesiastes is pointing out the bad news that everything under the sun is screwed up if you're viewing it through a lens of your own life and you being in control, right? We've talked about that a little bit. Now we, you and I, should very much hate that. We should hate sin in our lives, right? We should hate that everything we toil for on earth without God is havel. It's futility. It's a mist. It's a vexation. These are all words used by the preacher. And the good news, though, is that God is making all things new through Jesus Christ. 
There's a contrast there, and we need to grab a hold of that. A time to love and a time to hate. He ends with a time to war or for war and a time for peace. As much as you and I would love to open up the news and, and, and read a headline, right? Whether on our phone or on the laptop, world peace is here. We never will. We see that throughout scripture and we see it all around us. Until God returns to fully recover Eden and establish a new heaven and new earth, war will continue. There's a season from God. We need to know that. And God is in total control. Let's look at these last few verses here together as we end our time. The author of Ecclesiastes asks a question. What gain has the worker from his toil? Jumping in here in the middle of the book, it's kind of tough. So again, we've, we looked at the end of chapter two, but let me just point out a couple of things that I found in chapter one, uh, real quick. If you have your Bibles with, you can just turn one page. Chapter one, right? In verse two, we see vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Okay? The author sets the stage real quick. Vanity. Verse three, he says, what can he gain? Right? And it's a rhetorical question. There's nothing he can gain. It's all vanity. Verse 14, we see that answered. Nothing. It's all vanity. Chapter 2, the preacher, the king of Israel, I believe Solomon, goes into a section on what he has gained. All his accumulation of power and wealth. And at verse 11 in chapter 2, after this description of everything that he has done, he sums it up that it's all vanity. Later in that same chapter, he admits, I hate all my toil. Now, this is a man who had gained everything. Wealth, wisdom, power, he says, it's all futility. So let's get back to chapter 3 and look at verse 10 and 11. Solomon has seen the busyness and demise that from, uh, from that that God has made everything beautiful in his time. In light of all the work that he's done and realizing it's not worth anything, God, in his control and his power, has made everything beautiful in his time. Man cannot, without God, find accumulation of anything that brings real, fulfilling joy. If you're chasing that next raise, if you're running after that new car, or the next addition to your home, there will always be another raise, and a newer car, and a bigger home. We can't understand God, right? That's what he says here. Solomon says that. We can't grasp what God is doing. Solomon says we can't know or find out what God has done, right? God is the God of order, and we can't understand it. It doesn't make sense to us. If we're honest with ourselves, we say that. I don't understand what God is doing here. Why did he allow this to happen? No matter how hard we strive to understand, no matter how hard we toil in our life, in our understanding, no matter how much wisdom we acquire, apart from God, everything is vanity and striving after the wind. Everything is a season from God. Now, in verse 12 and 13, we see Solomon say, I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. One of Solomon's conclusions, the book is full of his conclusions, and he says, I perceived to understand the ups and the downs of life, uh, what I've learned is you need to enjoy life. No matter what's going on in your life. Right? It's kind of that carpe diem statement. Seize the day. Right? Now, we know that he's already told us, he's already taught us in his wisdom not to seek hedonism or, or lawless pleasure. Right? There are restrictions. There are things that we need to do. We need to move forward in wisdom. This isn't carte blanche, do what you want. But Solomon is saying you can eat, you can drink, you can enjoy life in a God-honoring way 
And that's a gift from God to you. No matter where you're at in your life. No matter what your status is. No matter what's going on in your personal life. He's talking about enjoying this life with God and for God. In wisdom, eat and drink. In wisdom, enjoy life. He encourages the follower of God to be joyful. We've talked about this before. Joy is a choice. We have to decide to be joyful. Right? We see that. We know that. In light of the situation that just happened to me, I have a choice. I can get ticked off, feel bad for myself, allow myself to wallow. Now, I'm not talking about grief. Grief is healthy to work through. But you can go that direction or you can say, you know what? This is tough. This is the toughest thing that anyone's ever going to have to go through in their life. And I'm going to choose to go through it with God. And in the end, I can find joy in him and his control. Do you believe that? That this is a season of life from God and God gives us gifts even in the toughest times. We see the phrases here uh, to do good right there in, in verse 12. They need to be joyful and they need to do good. We can't chase after food, drink, pleasure at the cost of someone else. And the author of Ecclesiastes knew that. We're to drink deeply of this life as a gift from God. But when you do that, you realize that it can't be at the cost of someone else. Life enjoyed is walking down the street slowly with your kids, picking up every leaf, picking up the worm, eating an ice cream cone, jumping in the puddles. I look forward to doing that with my grandkids, right? That's what I'm looking forward to. That's joy. That's life. That's what God wants us to have. Do we find the pleasures in the smallest things? When you look at the sun rising in the morning, do you see the beauty of it from God? Or do you just know that you're running 15 minutes late, right? When you see the wonder in the, the, the eyes of your child, are you frustrated that you're ask, being asked another question? Or do you see the beauty of a young mind growing? In everything, we can find joy. And I think that's what the author of Ecclesiastes wants us to do. It's a gift from God to man. And when we do those things, it's an act of worship, really. You and I are to enjoy our lives. We got to continue on here. We're just about to finish up. Verse 14 is the key to this passage. So if you fell asleep 10 minutes ago, now's the time to wake up, right? If the person next to you is dozed off, just give them a little nudge. Look at verse 14, right? This, it shows us this whole text is ultimately about God's order. Verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken, anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Could there be a more powerful or complete statement about the sovereignty of God? I don't know that there could be. All that he does endures forever. God's work is permanent, it's effective, and it's complete. Never too early, never too late, never too little, never too much. When we consider the scope of human existence and the magnitude of the intellect that's, that, that, that's being, uh, in, in, that's going on in this world, right? The, the, the human body, the plant, right? All these things are from God. The complexities of them all. When I open up a science book and I'm looking at a plant being dissected, it blows my mind. Do you believe that happened by chance? Or by the creation of a God who loves you and loves you enough to care for you when you're in a time of weeping or mourning? 
We are to view God in an appropriate fashion. We are to fear the Lord. And again, it's not of the fear that we think of. Fear has to do with so much more. Again, it can be a, a sermon on its own. But we need to understand who God is and what he can do. And what he is doing every day in our lives. And that's the kind of life we need to look. Really quick, we're going to look at the end of the book as we close today. Worship team is going to come back up. This is the last few verses in chapter 12. At the end of Ecclesiastes, uh, we're going to look at verses 9 to 14. Besides being wise, this is the narrator writing here at the end. The preacher also taught the people knowledge Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. And here it is, verse 13. The end of the matter, all that has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The truth is taught there, right? We can hear it. We can see it right there. There is a time for everything. And God is in control of your current season, no matter what's going on. Our response needs to be to trust God. We need to rest in him. We need to embrace the season, no matter how difficult it is. And then we need to look to learn as we go through it. Maybe this morning you find yourself in a place where you've never place your faith in God. You're sitting out here today going, man, I I don't really know what you're talking about with this relationship with God. Maybe it's the first time you're hearing about that. My encouragement to you would be to push on, talk to the person you came with. If you didn't come with anybody, come talk to myself or Pastor Dave. We would love to talk to you about it. Maybe you've been here for a while, but you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ yet. You haven't taken that step of accepting the free gift of salvation And this morning, you want to do that. Again, talk to whoever you came with. It doesn't have to be a pastor that prays with you, but we would love to. Dave and I will be in the back. If you want to talk to somebody, come talk to us. God wants you in relationship. God wants you to start walking down that path of discipleship. But for those of you who've already placed your faith in him for your salvation, you need to remember today. And maybe it's remembering it in a new way. Remember, we can see things and understand them differently. We can hear things and hear something different. So my encouragement to you today is to remember we need to fear God and keep his commandments. We need to eat, drink, and be joyful because this is a gift from God for your toil. Fear God and keep his commandments. Pray with me.